Well, uh, call by name, takes a seat. And remember, it's kids' camp time, and uh, so take advantage of that if you've got a young person. And uh, we're still in summer. I know some college kids are back to school, but uh, we're still in summer. And so we've got this week and uh, next week. We'll be uh, still under our sightseeing summer theme. And then uh, the following week, the 12th, we kick off our new activity year and uh, new message series uh, under Get in the Game. So, so ready to go sightseeing again? Here we go. Uh, here's where we're going to go today. Show the next slide, if you would. There it is. Boy, is that impressive or what? What does that look like to you? A mound of dirt, right? That's because guess what it is? A mound of dirt. It is a mound of dirt. Uh, it's called uh, Megiddo. And uh, what's interesting about Megiddo is uh, it was a mound of dirt when the first folks uh, decided to build on top of it. Uh, and uh, there have been successive civilizations after civilizations that have continued to build in this very spot, because this spot is a vital spot. If you go to the next slide, you can get a view of it. And uh, there it is and again from a different angle. And uh, from this angle, as you look at that mound of dirt, you can see obviously there's been you know, buildings on top of it. And over to the far right, there was a stable area over there, they believe. And then also over in the far left, there was another stable area for horses. And uh, if you look beyond it, however, you can see that right below Megiddo, uh, is a valley. See the valley? Doesn't look very big there, right? Look at the next slide, if you would. That's standing on top of Megiddo, looking out towards Mount Tabor. Did the valley just change? I mean, in the previous picture, it didn't look like it was a very big valley, right? But now we're looking from a little different angle, and we're looking over towards Mount Tabor, and all of a sudden that valley is pretty huge, isn't it? Now, that's because Megiddo is located at a strategic place. And it's a place where battles have taken, taken place over and over and over and over. It is a place where on this plain of Jezreel, in this valley of Jezreel, uh, there have been just continual uh, battles of conquest. And Megiddo sits right at that place. If you look at Mount Tabor, which is that kind of hill there straight in the center of the screen. Uh, we know that from biblical times. We know that was the place where uh, Deborah and Barak, Deborah, one of the judges, they led a, uh, a battle uh, there over the Canaanites. And then Gideon also uh, led to some victories over the Midianites in this same spot. Um, it's also where Saul, King Saul, met his death. It's also where King Josiah uh, met his death in battle. So this whole valley here, while it looks really nice and fertile in the picture, in history has been a place of ongoing conflict. Because it's a place of conflict, Megiddo was a fortress right there in, in this center of conflict. Now remember I showed that the pictures, this one wide valley, and over at the other one, remember it was narrower? You know what happens, right? You get a wide valley, and then things start to get narrow, and you go into a pass, and they call those places bottlenecks, right? Megiddo is located at one of those bottlenecks, and because of that, it was an important strategic military site. If you controlled Megiddo, you controlled the bottleneck, and you could uh, maintain and, and have advantages militarily over anybody 
who would attack. So Megiddo was built as a fortress to control that whole valley. Uh, and it was built with the idea that there would be battles sieged against it. And uh, one of the interesting things is, uh, uh, go to the next picture, if you will. There you go. You can kind of see it laid out there again. And you see over to the right there kind of a deep hole. That's kind of a big cistern. Uh, but that's how they collected water. But that's not all they did. If you go to the next picture, this was one of the most impressive things in Megiddo. Um, because it was built for uh, to take on opposing armies attacking it, they actually built a tunnel from inside the walls of Megiddo down through uh, the rock out to just outside the walls where there were springs. And that's how they got water. Now, do you notice anything about this tunnel, the sides? They're like rock. I mean, we're just not moving dirt. They dug their way through solid rock. Isn't that amazing? Maybe you got to be there, but I was blown away. You see how long that is? I mean, any of you guys tried to break up some concrete lately that's like this thick? Imagine that. But that was that was just shows how important this site was militarily to be able to control the valley. To give you an idea of that, if you go to the next slide, you can see it. That you can see this is kind of a broad view of the picture. And there's Megiddo right up there to the left. And then if you come down towards the bottom of the picture, you can see where it says the pass through uh, Mount Carmel. And that's what Megiddo controlled. That was the bottleneck that it controlled. To give you a, uh, an idea of how important this was to the whole region, look at the next picture. You can see the red dot of Megiddo over there, right by the blue line, the red dot of Megiddo. The blue line was the trade route that came from Egypt and went up through and went up north uh, beyond the uh, Sea of Galilee there and up into Syria and beyond. So you can see they had to go through the, the mountains, and that's that, that pass that we just talked about, um, the pass through Mount Carmel. If you controlled Megiddo, you controlled the pass, right? So any army or anybody who was trying to conquer or control the land needed to control Megiddo. Here's another topographical just to give a a sense of it. You can see Megiddo in the pass there to see how important it was and how it opens up into the plains and the valleys. Well, in the last slide gives you the, the idea. What's important to us about Megiddo is that as you look at it, it is a converging point. It is just kind of this converging point where everything comes together. Now, how does that play into us today? What's important about that for today? Because of its location, it plays into the reality of what John of Patmos understood in his vision about the importance of this particular location. It comes to us out of Revelations 16. It is the only place in the Bible where Megiddo is referred to. And it's not referred to as Megiddo. It's a, a transliteration of Megiddo. Megiddo is, would be Har Megiddo, in the Hebrew, but it gets translated out into a word you're very familiar with. And I highlighted it for you in the text. What's the word? Heard of that before? Yeah. I mean, what's supposed to happen with Armageddon? I mean, the end, right? Or the beginning on our faith, right? Well, that's what Megiddo is all about. You see, Megiddo in John of Patmos' vision 
uh, is that actual location where everything comes together. It was the place of continual conflict and battle. And so as John had his vision and understanding how, how the great final conflict was going to take place, in his vision there was only one place where that conflict could be, and that's Megiddo. It is John's description of the location of where that final battle is going to take place between the forces of God and the forces of evil. If you look at the text, it says, Those armies came together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. As soon as the seventh angel emptied his bowl in the air, a loud voice from the throne in the temple shouted, It is done. It is that descriptive location for the last great battle when God subdues all things unto himself. Now, before you get too nervous, we're not going to spend this morning uh, going through all of the understandings about um, that last great battle and the Left Behind series and all the other stuff that's been written about that because I suspect you guys do want to have supper tonight, right? And, uh, I mean, that would take... You know, quite a long time. So if we're not going to do that. We just have enough time to do that. We can do that in a class or something. But um, well, what we're going to do today is is to think about well, what significance does it have for us in our daily lives to understand a basic truth that this verse and others give us about the knowledge of a last great day. In our faith, we would summarize it with. Uh, a simple truth for us to understand that Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is going to come again. Uh, and we say it in the Nicene Creed, and I put it up there because it's important uh, for us to, to see the full breadth of what we understand there. And the creeds, you know, are those statements of faith that grow out of the Bible that, that the church fathers adopted and, and we hold to today as kind of a summary of of our faith. And if you look at just the one line in the Nicene Creed, it says, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, it's important here for us to understand what we just said. Number one is, he's going to come again. We're all on board with that. But look at the extension of what happens when he comes. This is important to us. This is what we got to get. It's not just having this cerebral knowledge that says, yeah, all right, one day Jesus is going to come again. Yeah, all right, one day there's going to be a last great day. Yeah, all right, there's going to be a last day. No, he is going to come again, and he is going to establish his kingdom forever. He is going to come again. And when he comes, he will subdue all things unto himself. All things will come under his rule in his reign forever and ever and ever. That's significant to us. To know the truth that not only is Jesus coming again, but he is going to come again to put all things right. If you need some scriptural reference for that, uh, you can look at Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul understands something significant is going to happen. There's going to be a day 
when the heavens open and the trumpet blows and Jesus and all the archangels break out and they're going to come back and conquer this world and make it right. If you need Jesus to tell you that, you go to Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He is going to come again. And he is going to establish his kingdom forever. This is a biblical truth that runs through both the Old Testament and the New Testament as the Old Testament talks about the Messiah who will come. Just to give you a sense of that, somebody did a search on all of this. And here's, here's the way the numbers stack up. There are 1,845 references in the Old Testament um, uh, in a total of uh, references in 17 of those books that talk about the Messiah coming again. Does that sound like a lot? Sounds like a lot to me. Um, Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to Christ coming again. And if you do the averages on that... That means that every 30th verse makes a reference somehow to Jesus coming again. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is like a truth, right? Uh, if you look at the, uh, at the New Testament, 23 out of the 27 books uh, refer to this event of Jesus coming again. So that leaves only four books that don't. That's significant when you recognize that three out of those four books are only one chapter long and they're personal letters written to a specific person for a specific purpose. So you can see that the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is in absolute agreement that one day Jesus is going to come again and when he comes, he is going to subdue all things unto himself. Now we've got to be careful at this point because you know what the reaction of, of the world is to do with this knowledge? The reaction of the world is to try to figure out what day isn't it? Reaction of the world is, oh, he's going to come again, so let's figure out what day. Let's find out what day so we know what day. Don't waste your time trying to figure out what day. It don't work. Okay? You with me on this? I can prove it. God warns you about this, saying, look, don't waste your time this way trying to figure out what day. It just, it's not going to happen. If you look in Matthew 24 and... uh, You can say the first verse with me, if you would, just so you get this down now, so we're all on the same page. You ready? No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Does anybody besides the Father know when the last day of Armageddon is going to come? No. That means you don't either. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out, because he hasn't even told his Son and the angels. And if they don't know, I don't think you're higher than they are on the list. Agreed? Is that the way it works? Don't waste your time. Your time is too valuable to waste your time trying to figure out what day he's going to come. Just know the truth that he's going to come. The Bible gives you an image to understand how it works and how this is going to happen. If you go to uh, 2 Peter 3.10, Peter uses this image. He says, but on the day of the Lord, on, on the day of the Lord that he'll come, 
He'll come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away and a great noise and elements will melt. But what's the image? He's going to come like a what? Thief in the night. Does anybody schedule people to rob their house? I mean, you'd have to know the day and the time to schedule a thief to rob your house, right? You won't know the time. You can't know the time. There's no way to figure out the time. So don't worry about the time. It's like a thief coming to your house. It's just going to come. It's just going to come. It's just going to happen. Revelations 16, which is where we started today, remember? Talking about Armageddon. In Revelation 16, right near that verse where it talks about Armageddon, uh, Revelations, John of Patmos reminds us this way. Remember that Christ says, when I come, it will surprise you like a thief. So even in the place where Armageddon is referred to, it tells us you're just not going to know. It's just like a thief. You're just not going to know. But now look at the rest of the verse. Because the rest of the verse gives us insight into what we ought to be spending our time worrying about and focusing on. We have to worry about the day and the time. So what do we spend our time with knowing this truth? He says, but God will bless you if you are awake and ready. Hmm. We're supposed to be awake and ready. You see that? You see, where we need to spend our time is not trying to figure out God's business of what day and time. Where we need to spend our time is to make sure that we're awake to the work and the presence of God. And that we're ready for what God is going to do. That we are awake and alert to the activity of God. And that we're going to be personally, spiritually ready for Him to work on that particular day. He says then you won't have to walk around naked and be ashamed. Now, thank you all for wearing clothes. He's speaking a bit metaphorically here. He's trying to help us understand with Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember, and all of that. The idea is when he comes back, we won't have to be ashamed or feel guilty anymore. If we spend our time now awake, and ready, being awake and ready to the activity of God in our lives right now. Isn't that awesome? So what do we do in the meantime? How do we do that? What does it mean for us in the meantime? Second Timothy gives us a great uh, verse, a great couple verses to insight about what we're supposed to do and how we spend our time now knowing this truth that Jesus is going to come Again, here's what he says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, stop there for a minute. Notice what he just said there. In view of his appearing in his kingdom, right? So he's making a reference to the truth that we've been talking about. He's saying, look, because you know this truth now, because you know he is going to appear, because you know he's going to come and establish his kingdom forever. Because you know these things. He's now going to tell us how to spend our time. What we're responsible for. You ready? Because you know this, he says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, 
rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. What does he want us to do? Number one, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, he's not talking about just what I do every Sunday up here in this spot. He's talking about what you do every day. Because you know the truth that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to establish his kingdom forever. Preach the word and tell people about Jesus. This is what we need to be busy at. We need to be busy, awake, and ready to extend the kingdom in every moment that we have before he comes. He's going to come. Because you know that, you need to use every moment you've got to extend the kingdom. Be awake, be ready. Tell people about the truth about Jesus Christ. You can't wait because it could be today. It could be tomorrow. You don't know the day nor the hour. We established that. All you know is it's going to happen. And when it happens, you need to make sure not only are you ready, but everybody you can possibly touch that they know that he's coming back and they're ready. I'll give you an illustration. Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, in World War II was uh, a pastor in Germany and in the underground church of Germany and uh, obviously taking a stand against Hitler uh, and uh, the activity that was going on in World War II. And uh, he was constantly under the threat of being arrested or being killed and, and finally was. He was finally arrested uh, and uh, executed. Uh, on a particular day, he was, you know, working diligently at trying to take the stand for Christ in, in uh, Germany, and uh, his followers were a bit discouraged, apparently, and so um, they came to him, and they, they asked him this question. They said, why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Jesus will return any day, and all your work and suffering will be for nothing. What did they do with this knowledge? They said, well, look, Jesus is coming back any day now. This, it can't get any worse. This is horrible stuff. Things are just really going in the trash can. The world is falling apart. Obviously, Jesus is going to come back. So why are you bothering, Dietrich, in doing anything? It's got to be soon. It's got to be quick. So just kick back, relax, and let it unfold. Isn't that what they're saying? Here's what he said in response. If Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Today's the day we got. Today is the day you have. You know you have today. Today is the day you have. And this is the opportunity you have to make the most you can make out of the life and the blessings that God is pouring into your life. And today is the opportunity you have to extend that into somebody else. Today's the day. There may not be tomorrow. Today is the day. Today is the day. Take advantage of the day and make the most of preaching the word and extending the kingdom to absolutely every human heart that you can. Don't waste a moment of opportunity. Now think about this. Here's the challenge. Husbands, wives, are you extending the kingdom into your marriage? 
I'm serious. Are you extending the kingdom more than just being here on today, on Sundays? Are you extending the kingdom every day that God gives you opportunity in your marriage? Are you praying together? Are you reading the scripture together? Are you extending the kingdom to your spouse? Parents? Are you extending the kingdom, taking advantage of the moment you have, knowing Jesus is coming? Are you taking advantage of the moment and extending the kingdom into the life of your children? Are you praying with them? Are you reading the scripture with them? Are you setting the witness and the example that they need to see? Are you intentional about showing them and telling them what God has to say? When you go to work, when you're at play with your friends, wherever you are, you see, the challenge is, are you being intentional in the moment that God gives you right here to preach and extend the kingdom? Because someday he's coming back. And he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And this is the only moment we've got to make a difference in somebody else's life. Next thing he says we're supposed to do is to be busy about extending the kingdom and correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. There's a great place in the Bible that I really like, uh, and it's uh, out of uh, Acts 1.11. It's back one slide. It's one of my favorite instances in the Bible. It's when, when Jesus was uh, ascended into heaven, so he, you know, raised from the dead. He's been hanging out for 40 days with, with his disciples and, you know, cooking fish by the seashore and, you know, tailgating and uh, just having a great time, right? But the day comes when he's got to go to be with the Father and sit on the throne, right? So, okay, day comes and, and he's with the disciples and he gives them that last word of instruction and then, you know, he ascends in, into heaven. It's just a great moment. It's a great moment. Acts 1.11, it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So angels come, and the disciples are standing there going, you know, and the angels, what's their first thing? What are you doing standing around looking into the sky, okay? You know he's going to come back. You know he's going to come back. So don't stand around looking into the sky. Get busy doing what he wants you to do. Isn't that what they're telling? Anybody been looking in the sky lately? Or are you getting busy doing what he wants you to do? And the next thing he wants you to do is so important to all of us. He wants you to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, this is a hard one for us. This is a sensitive one for us. But it's a truth we can't ignore because one day Jesus is going to come back. And so this is all the time we've got to make sure we get life as right as we can possibly get it. For us, it's to understand that he has given us the correct word. He's given us the correct word and the correct instruction to guide our lives and tell us, teach us how to have an incredible life. And we've got to make sure we know what our position is in relationship to the correct word that this represents, right? It means for us to understand that, you know, God is in charge, but he's given us his word. But this word is supposed to be above us. It's supposed to be enfolding us, and it's supposed to inform us, shape us, fashion us, teach us how to be the people 
God wants us to be and show us how to have that incredible life that He dreams for us. But it means we're here in relationship to the Word. It informs us. You know what the problem is today in our world? Too many people, Christians among them, in churches have moved themselves out of this position and they move themselves up to this position. And they've decided, well, I'm going to listen to some of it, but I'm not sure I'm going to buy all of it. I'm going to listen to the stuff that really makes me feel good. I like that forgiveness stuff. I'm going to listen to that, but some of the stuff I just don't agree with. You see the problem with that? The problem is wrong position. We don't get to decide what we will or won't believe in the Word, what is or isn't true. We are the ones who are supposed to be beneath the Word and let it shape, fashion, and form us. Why tell you this? Because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And this is all the time you've got to get your life correct. Isn't that what the Word just said? What we're supposed to do is correct, rebuke, and encourage we got to make sure we get our lives correct. And correct life is living according to what the Word has to say. It's letting our lives get shaped, formed, and fashioned by what God's Word has to say. This is the only time you've got. If you're living contrary to the Word, this is a gift for you to know that Jesus is coming back. Because you have the opportunity today, in this time, to get your life back in the right place, to get your life correct according to what God wants for you. You see, knowing that He's coming back is a gift because it gives us the opportunity to be able to submit ourselves in obedience to what God has to say for life. If you're not there yet, make it today. Make it today. Make it the opportunity. Listen to what Timothy says. Here's what you're supposed to do in this meantime. You're supposed to get life correct. And if there's something in your life that's not correct, correct, you've got to rebuke it. You've got to just change it. You've got to rebuke it and say, I'm not going to live that way anymore because I understand this is what God wants for life. And let me encourage you to do that. That's what it says. And encourage. You see, the word encourages us because when we get our lives in that right position underneath the word and we let God shape us, then life becomes more than we could imagine. It's the way it's designed. It's, it's the way it is. It's the design. If you look in Psalm 119, it shows us how God has designed obedience into the whole creation experience. It says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. They continue this day according to what? His ordinances. It's the way it's laid out, right? It's the way creation is laid out. It's the way it's laid out. We're no different. We were created to live according to His Word. And now is the time for us to get our life in that place. If it's not in that place, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. You can get your life in that place because Jesus Christ gives you the strength and the authority to do it. It's the final word from uh, really the day and the text. 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You see, because we know, we know Jesus Christ is coming back, and we know 
that he is going to establish his kingdom forever, we can be encouraged in this moment. See, if there is something going on in your life that you've been struggling with and, and it keeps winning somehow, if there's something in your life that just keeps challenging you and you have a hard time getting through it or getting beyond it, you need to hear the word today and be encouraged. Jesus Christ is coming back and he is going to subdue it. Jesus Christ is coming back. Whatever it is in your life, it will not last because he will bring it under his rule and his authority. Now here's the cool thing. Because we know Jesus is coming back and because we know when he comes back, he will establish his authority and his kingdom, it means the victory is already won, doesn't it? Victory's already won. We already know. He's coming back. He's going to establish his kingdom. That's a done deal. Victory's already won. If that victory is already won, it means we, in the knowledge of that, can let that victory happen today. We can let that happen today. If you're struggling with something in your life, understand this. Jesus Christ is greater. And he's already won the victory. Just grab hold of it. Grab hold of the victory. Whatever it is you're challenged by, whatever it is is nagging at your heels, whatever it is seems to keep taking hold of your life, you just need to name it and go to Megiddo and stand there and say, I am going to control this valley. I am going to control this battle. And Jesus Christ is in charge of my life. And he has won the victory. And let him conquer whatever it is. Be encouraged with these words. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's won the victory. And he can win the victory even today in anything in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you that we are so privileged to know this truth. To know that you're going to come back and to know that when you do, you're going to establish your kingdom forever and ever. And that all of the pain and all the struggle and all the frustration and all the shame, it will just pass away. And we ask humbly, let that victory come into our lives even now. Help us to live according to your word. Let it shape us and fashion us. And empowered by that word and being the person you want us to be, help us to share that truth with other people. Because we know you're coming back. And we know this is our time. This is our time to live according to your word and share that truth with others. We pray for this and we ask this in the name of Jesus, the great victor. Amen.